Well, again, as we turn our attention again to the first chapter here in the book of Genesis, I want to remind you that if you can't believe Genesis 1-1, if you can't believe John 1-1 through 3, which we covered this morning, if you can't believe Colossians chapter 1, if you can't read and believe Romans chapter 1, you, you kind of have to take them as a unified whole because they present a creator God. And that creator God, while not telling us everything that he did in the creation narrative, has again told us enough that when we look at our world, when we look at our universe, when we look at our little planet, uh, this third planet from the sun, this little tiny ball that's a scant 7,000 miles uh, in diameter, that spins around a, a sun at just exactly the right distance to provide uh, a solar year, to provide the right angle so that we can uh, be warm in the daytime and cool off in the nighttime. We're going to see some of the systems set in place uh, tonight as we look at the, the next day and a half of the creation narrative. But God has finely tuned, finely balanced manufactured the systems that exist, that are in place. They were massively altered during an event which we'll get to later in the book of Genesis, the flood of Noah. But God has told us enough so that as we look at the creation, we'll come to the conclusion that these things are too finely tuned, too well designed to have ever possibly happened by simple natural events occurring over, long, occurring over long periods of time, randomly, without guidance, without information, without order. And so we'll pick up uh, tonight in verse 6, and hear the second creation command. And remember, there are ten of them. They begin with the words, and God said, because it is the word of God that is being spoken forth. God is speaking into existence the various elements of what we would call our natural world and ultimately the universe itself. And so would you join me and we'll pray and uh, dig into the word tonight. Father, again, we are so grateful for your word which gives us meaning and purpose. Lord, we're not on a, a little globe floating around in one of billions upon billions of stars in just our own little galaxy Lord, one of billions, hundreds of billions of galaxies in our universe, Lord, this is a uniquely created planet, created specifically for us as the prize of your creation. Lord, those that were created in your very own image. And we are grateful for the promises you've made to us to reveal to those who seek those things which we ask according to your will. And so tonight we are seeking to know uh, what your spirit would say to us as a church. Bless your word. Give us understanding of it. Help us to grow and help us to glean, Lord, from all that you want us to know tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Now in the background that's in front of you, and again, I'll let you know we are working on a plan to replace all of the projection and actually some new screens and some wonderful high-definition things, so this is going to get immeasurably better for us here in the next month or two. And so, But you'll notice this is actually a photograph that was taken on Apollo 17, so the final 
lunar landing happened in 1972. Great shot. Uh, about the opposite that we see in the nighttime. Amen. This one we happen to see the the Earth with the lunar lander there in the background. But it gives you kind of a picture of why these things are important. Because when you look at that perspective, remembering that the moon is one-sixth the size of the earth, just a little over a thousand miles in diameter, it has about the sixth of gravity as well. Uh, as As you think on where we're at, you can't survive on the moon. And yet in in the terms of distance in our solar system, and especially in terms of the distance that we look at the things in our universe, it's only about 239,000 miles from here. Uh, that is like a hair's breadth in the universe. It's so small uh, that it's almost, to, it's almost insignificant in terms of light years. In other words, it, it wouldn't, it's almost no distance at all. And yet when you look at that photo, you have, you have a place that is completely uninhabitable were it not for the life support that those Apollo astronauts took with them, they would have died the instant they stepped out onto the moon's surface. So God has made a very unique planet that we sit on. And it has about it so many characteristics that are very specific to your body, the exact amount of gravity necessary to both keep us on the earth and to provide the perfect counterpressure to the cells and systems that are that make up our body. Your blood pressure is exactly the right blood pressure to press against what is the gravity that we have here on earth. Uh, The exact amount of oxygen and nitrogen exists in our atmosphere. And so we're going to see God uh, step into this next phase of creation where he's going to cause the land masses to emerge from this uh, watery dispersion that we would call uh, basic matter that's been created. Now remember, he creates uh, first bara, in other words, the Hebrew word to mean create out of nothing. In other words, there was nothing there. God made everything. So he's created time, space, and matter. He's now going to take what he's created. He's going to use a new word. Uh, and this new word, the Hebrew word asa, means to take that which is made and to form it or to shape it. So he's going to take the things that he's already made and he's going to make something out of them. We would call take the, the, the material that he's created and, and do something with it. And so verse 6 here in Genesis chapter 1. And then, and remember these are all linked together, God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. And again, we need to know a little bit of Hebrew here because that sounds like uh, he's simply making something that's firm in the midst of water, but that's not what he's actually doing because that word is the requia. And it, and it is a, a very specific word. It actually will be translated. We're going to be told that it's actually the heavens. And so he's making the heavens themselves. And we'll get to the three uh, areas that the Bible calls heaven in a moment. Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. And so that sounds a little confusing. It sounds a little redundant. Uh, but we're going to see that God is not only immensely wise and extremely Uh, purposeful in what he's going to do, but he does something that's going to be necessary for an event that's going to come uh, as we see the world begin to degrade after the time of Adam and Eve up into the time of Noah. He does something called the flood of Noah that is a one-time event that God himself says he will never do again. And he's setting up actually one of the systems that will help him do that major flood 
and it's going to be uh, an extra amount of water in our atmosphere. And so we're dividing the waters uh, from the waters. And thus God made the firmament, the heavens, divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And so it was, and God called the firmament heaven. So again, make sure that you use Scripture to interpret Scripture. That's not talking about dirt. It's talking about what we would call space and a very specific part of that space that we'll get to in a moment. And so the evening and the morning were the second day. So here's the second day come to a close. We're now going to begin the third day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place. A little quiz for you. How many seas are there? I already heard one answer over here, seven. How many seas are there? There's exactly one. There's not seven. There are seven areas divided up into what we would call basins in which a part of the sea sits. But God told you the truth. And we didn't figure that out until about the 1800s. That there was exactly one sea and they're all interconnected. He gathered all the waters together underneath the heaven. And by the way, every river in the world, every bit of runoff in the world, every aquifer in the world, every bit of the world's water supply is interconnected. All of it. So he's giving us a picture here that we wouldn't figure out scientifically for a very, very, very long time. So God gives us enough understanding that this information didn't come from some old dude named Moses. Because Moses lived almost his entire life in a desert. Amen? He would have zero idea about these things and could not have had this information given to him because no one in the world at the time these words were written would have understood that. So God's writing from outside of space, outside of time. He's giving information that we wouldn't know for a very, very, very long time after these words were written. Let them be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. So God is now going to begin to push up continents and we'll get to all this individually as we go through our time tonight. And so it was, and God called the dry land earth, the Hebrew word eretz. So he's naming these things as he's going. He's named heaven. He's now named earth. And gathering together the waters, he calls seas. And the reason he uses the plural here is because he is actually telling us that they're going to be located in different areas, but he's also told us that whether they're gathered in those different areas, whether we can see them or not, they're actually all linked together. And he calls them cumulatively the seas. And God saw that it was good. You're going to see as God finishes these things, he's basically putting a stamp on it and saying, uh, approved by God. It's kind of, when you go to the building department, you're going to get a set of house plans. Uh, eventually you'll go in, you'll first do your submittal, and you'll give them a set of plans, and they'll begin to look them over, they'll give you corrections. Eventually those plans will come back to you stamped that they're approved. This is God's stamp of approval. He's saying, and it is and was good. And so the second of the six days of creation begin to unfold before you. Now remember, and as we saw, Peter has told us that there's going to be a world event that will happen and what existed before and what exists after uh, in the sense of what we have defined as a uniformitarian view 
uh, of geology, all those things pertaining to it, so erosion, sedimentation rates, uh, dust, decay of radioactive particles, all those kind of things. Again, keep up on the studies. Go see the ones online that you've missed, perhaps. Um, But understand this. God is setting up the pre-flood world right now. Super important that you divide between the antediluvian, that which is before the flood, and the post-diluvian world, that which is after the flood. Because anything that destroys, in essence, the face of the earth is also going to destroy the evidence of what existed before. Amen? So if the world was, in fact, covered by water, and again, I asked this question this morning, and it bears repeating, is God a liar? He's not a liar. So if he's telling you the truth about something, he's telling you the truth for a reason so that you can understand that he is setting something up that then you could have seen the way he describes it and the evidence thereof is going to be completely over the entire surface of the earth is going to be altered during the time of the great flood of Noah. As you look at the world, you'll actually see the evidence of that great flood. We'll go into great detail about the fossil layers and all those things when we get to that part. But God creates two sets of waters. And they're being separated uh, between one another by a heaven. And, And it's interesting because you have one that is going to sit above the surface of the earth. And people have often tried to distinguish between these two things and say, well, you know, that would be the cloud layer that's above us currently. And it's probably not the case. I happen to believe that God could have done something at that period of time that would have created a more idyllic earth environment. And I believe that this is a much thicker uh, atmosphere than what exists today. So again, the pre-flood atmosphere versus the post-flood atmosphere. And so he says, I'm going to separate these two by a firmament. It's a Hebrew word, requia. And as you look at that word, uh, it means expanse or spread out thinness. Uh, it's a very specific word. Um, there are three types of those things that are listed in all of Scripture as being heavens or the heaven of heavens. And it's interesting when you begin to do a study of the word heaven, uh, it becomes very clear that there's part of what God intends us to understand. For instance, there in Jeremiah chapter 4 and verse 25 as what we would call our atmosphere or the atmospheric heaven. When you look up in the sky, many of us look up there and we say there's the heavens. It's what you can see, it's localized to earth, and it appears that in this context, that is the heaven uh, that God is trying to instruct us with. In other words, he's saying, here's the waters on the earth, that's the one set of waters. There's a second set of waters that are in the heavens, but they're above what we would call our atmosphere currently. And so I doubt very seriously there were clouds, and we'll, we'll get to the reasoning behind that in just a little bit. And so God is basically saying there's upper waters, there's lower waters, and he's going to create a place for the inhabitants, for the, the, dweller, the earth dwellers to, to exist. The prophet Isaiah, there in Isaiah 13, writes in a different context as if there is a place beyond what we would call the space that's around our little planet or our atmosphere. We would call that outer space. That's the place where the stars exist, the galaxies exist, uh, that's where all the, the rest of the planetary system, we would call that the space that makes up our universe. So when God created space and time, 
and matter, he creates a space that is the universe. Within that, he refers to the part around our globe as a heaven, which is our atmosphere. But there's a third heaven. And that heaven happens to be the dwelling place of God himself. That one is the uncreated space. It is often called the heaven of heavens. And it's the place where God himself dwells. Hebrews chapter 9 uh, gives us a picture of that. And so when you look at the atmospheric heaven there in Jeremiah 4.25, it says, I beheld and indeed there was no man and all the birds of the heavens had fled there. So he's talking about where the birds fly. Very clear. That's a specific part of what we would call the heavens. Uh, outer space or what is technically termed sidereal space. Uh, the heaven, the heaven that is the universe itself, Isaiah 13, for the stars of heaven and their constellations. So we know that stars, galaxies, and star systems that also exist in a place called heaven or the heavens will not give their light for the sun has been darkened from its going forth and the moon will not cause its light to shine. That's where all the heavenly bodies hang. But notice Hebrews chapter 9 verse 24. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but heaven itself, and now to appear in the presence of God for us. That heaven is where the Lord himself dwells. All the same Hebrew word is used there, but how they are used, the context of their usage kind of dictates for us so that we can say, okay, that's the heaven that's above our planet, that's the heaven where the stars hang, or that is also, as in Second Chronicles uh, chapter 2, it says there in verses 5 and 6, And the temple which I build will be great, for our God is greater than all gods. But who will be able to build him a temple, since heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain him? So that's that picture uh, of the place that God actually dwells. And so he places between this water canopy, this vapor canopy, this very ultra-thick atmosphere, if you will, and the waters that we will eventually call seas, a space or a region that is called heaven, that's basically our atmosphere. And our atmosphere is nothing but absolutely amazing. When you look at the atmosphere itself, it has multiple parts. I've listed the three major component parts here, uh, the troposphere, the stratosphere, and the ionosphere. And as you look at those things, the stratosphere is basically where all of our weather happens. So when we talk about stratocumulus clouds, that's because they exist basically at the top of the stratosphere. And so those clouds, when you looked out a couple of days ago, if you remember when we were having all those thunderstorms out over the mountains... Uh, the cold air that's massed over the mountains, combining with the desert air, the warm air over the deserts, collide, begin to push up, and eventually that water vapor is just pressed right out of that air. So as that air rises, it quickly cools, condenses, and we get flash floods from it. God knows what he's doing because as he's creating all these systems, he's putting in place things to keep our planet cool. He's putting in things, places to re-irrigate farmlands. He's putting in places, ways for us to uh, determine uh, for ourselves where our boundaries will be of our various countries. Uh, most of the world's countries are bounded by oceans and rivers, are they not? And so God even uses all the things that he creates uh, to kind of dictate, here's a, here's a safe place to live. Here's a good place to live. 
And in fact, the Fertile Crescent, which was the original Middle East, which would have been uh, the ancient Chaldean Empire. Uh, Remember that Abraham himself was born in Ur of the Chaldees. Amen? Tigris, Euphrates River. So all of these things that God's putting into place, he's using as a way for us to understand, look, I'm setting up some boundaries here. And we'll kind of close tonight with that concept and the way heaven describes it for us. And so the firmament that's set there is the heavens, basically where this above that will be this vast water blanket or this vast uh, cloud of, of really very thick air. Now, remember something unique, and we'll see it as we pull forward, that during the time of Noah, no rain fell on the earth. Amen? What happens if that happens today? We are in big trouble. Amen? Because there, if no rain falls, rivers don't refill. We have all kinds of problems with groundwater, all that kind of thing. Unless God does something else in order to take care of that circulation of the air mass. And so God is, is I believe, setting that up in a very different way. And we can kind of see it here in, in what God has given us here. Now, there are some that say, oh, this is, you know, this is like you crazy Christians coming up with some pre-scientific idea. We know there couldn't be any water up there. Well, the evidence of that was destroyed. It no longer exists. But the basic concept of it, we still have in the stratosphere in the way that our weather actually does occur. So there in the troposphere where most of our weather occurs, it rises up to the tops of the stratosphere, the highest clouds, and then ultimately to the edge of the very edge of outer space. Most of you, if you think about, you know, I don't know how many of you booked uh, any of the space flights that are now for sale so you can go to the edge of the Earth's atmosphere. But, uh, you know, if you happen to get an extra one, I'd like to go. Just saying, I'd kind of like to take a look at it. But, but if, you, if you get a look at the Earth's atmosphere, it's not up there very far. Whether you know it or not, that big, huge, bright light that goes over the sky and goes by about once every hour, that's the International Space Station that you're looking at. It's so huge, reflects so much light, but it's only up there about 200 miles. And yet, to us, it almost looks like a star up there that goes by very quickly. And so our atmosphere is not very thick. And so when God's saying here, look, I put some water up there in the atmosphere that uh, I'm going to use for something very specific, uh, he will tell us in chapter 2 that there was no rain upon the earth, nor was there any rainbow in the cloud because there wasn't any cloud. God basically watered the earth uh, by a very moist, a very wet uh, environment, something that, that we would look at. One of the things that's beautiful about traveling to, well, you know, South Bay is actually pretty good, but I can tell you a place that's better. That's the Hawaiian Islands. When you travel to the Hawaiian Islands, one of the things that's wonderful about the Hawaiian Islands is the moisture that's in the air because it's a very moist environment. And, and so everything grows green and lush. If you're on the uh, protected sides of the island where the breeze doesn't basically blow away all the topsoil. Um, but in this case, God was basically shielding the earth by putting a large cape, uh, canopy of water vapor. And he's going to go on to tell us that uh, because we happen to know that it was clear, it would have had to have been highly condensed water vapor because the more, in essence, the more you vaporize water particles, the more they become a cloud and the less translucent they become. So He's really talking about quite a massive amount of water that likely was fairly condensed that circled the earth, much like there would have been kind of a blanket of water over the top of it. And why would that be something that would be beneficial? 
there's a couple of things, and probably most of you know this. There was kind of an interesting uh, take on life expectancy during the pre-flood times, was there not? And I don't know about you, but I haven't seen any thousand-year-old people running around, but they were fairly common back then. And part of the reason that we degrade as fast as we do is because we are bombarded by a huge amount of radiation, primarily from our own sun. Secondarily, the magnetic fields which protect our Earth from that radiation are degrading. And so as you look at the radiation and how it protects us, you look at the water vapor that's left in our clouds, the reason climate scientists are so worried about the decay of the ozone layer is because it is the remaining portion of our atmosphere that actually still deflects some of that radiation and also keeps the moisture next to the earth. And so we're concerned for a reason because God kind of put a time stamp on this planet. It's going to last as long as he said it's going to last. And so as we get here into 2017, some of those systems he put in place are getting near the end of their expected life expectancy. And so we see some of these things. Since water vapor uh, has both the ability to transmit incoming solar radiation and to retain and disperse that radiation to the Earth's surface, that would have given us pretty much a greenhouse effect. I don't know if you've ever walked into a greenhouse in in any place where there's a good amount of sunlight and a tremendous amount of moisture, but pretty much anything goes in there. And if you remember Adam and Eve, we're going to meet them here very shortly. Um, They, for some strange reason, could go 24-7 stone naked. So that means they probably didn't need clothes, uh, which means it wasn't 14 degrees outside when they got up in the morning. It was likely quite warm, highly likely in the 70s, uh, much like Hawaii. So kind of a global greenhouse. And while it would be a bad thing for it to get too hot, uh, the other thing that, that you have to look at when you think about how the Lord had done all of this is that one of the things that we have problems with right now, and the reason that we have radical changes in temperature on our planet, and the reason we have things like our Santa Ana winds here, is because of the great difference between both air pressure and moisture in the air. The wetter the air is, the heavier it is, the less it moves. So if this atmosphere was very wet at this time, the airflow would have been fairly minimal, would have been gentle breezes, would have been fairly humid. Your skin would have been just, ladies, you would have needed no moisturizer. So, and us guys, we would actually, as we get older, any of you got that thin skin stuff from getting old? You like, you like bump a uh, Nerf ball and you bleed? All of that would have been taken care of during this time with that hydrologic cycle that we currently have. In other words, there's uh, the, the moisture on the face of the earth begins to evaporate. It condenses in clouds, falls back as rain. All those things would have not been needed. There would have been no smog at that time. All of this could easily have been uh, greatly, greatly enhanced, the ability for these things to happen and, and for it to be a, a great environment to live in. The other thing, interestingly enough, uh, I don't know how many of you have done any study or read about hyperbaric chambers. You know, that's where you go in and they basically kind of pressurize it and stick a little extra oxygen in there to try and make you uh, feel really good. Michael Jackson used to go and sit inside of hyperbaric chambers and try and uh, oxygenate himself. But it's supposedly really good for you. This also would have provided a hyperbaric environment. So it would have been actually a higher air pressure. Most people don't realize it, but if you travel to the top of Mount Everest and then down to the Dead Sea, uh, you're going to experience about 10 pounds 
10 pounds per square inch difference in air pressure between the top of Mount Everest and the Dead Sea in Israel. And so the change in air pressure is actually fairly significant here on the face of the earth. At that time, it would have been greater all over the face of the earth with the weight of that water uh, pressing in on our planet. So the bottom line is he's creating really a Garden of Eden scenario, a place that very much like uh, what we would see in Hawaii with an ideal climate, nice and warm. You're not going to need a whole lot of clothes. Uh, it's a place that everybody would have gotten, wanted to go to for sure. And so Psalm 148 says the waters were above the heavens. They are established forever. In other words, God puts in place our climate cycle that we currently have. And, and from that comes the study of hydrology and climatology. And now while many people freak out over the term climate change or as it as it's been uh you know talked about now you know global warming those types of things global warming's kind of gone out climate change is in next week it'll be something else Um, the bottom line is our climate is changing and has been changing for a long time Uh, and some of that is human caused without a doubt some of the things that we're doing to the atmosphere, that, but whether it's going to be the cause of our demise, that's a whole different story. So what God says is, look, I've given you an unbelievable mechanical marvel. And the reason I want to share this with you is what God does every day that you don't see in the study of both hydrology and climatology, in other words, climate science or water science, a study of water movement here on the face of the earth. He moves around an incredible amount of water so that we can water our planet. And you know what? He doesn't call us up in the morning and say, hey, where do you need water? Um, Our hydrologic cycle does that all by itself. And so God has placed that here on the second day uh, into its place to where it's now beginning to, to do what it needs to do. And most of you know, if you have a little fountain, and maybe you've got a fountain in your yard, or perhaps you have a pool, that takes a pump to move all that water around. Amen? You might have, if you have a pretty good-sized pool, you might have 50,000 gallons of water in there, and you have a pump that will probably recirculate most of the water a couple of times a day. Now imagine that every single area of the earth, if you took the cumulative amount of water in the atmosphere, it's some 54.5 trillion tons of water that gets moved around every single year. It's enough that it all fell in one period of time. It would cover the surface of the earth with three feet of water. God moves all that water around simply by putting into place hydrologic cycles that allow for evaporation and condensation and cloud formation and rain and snow, all of those things which we look at and go, how did he figure out how much to dump where? And oh, by the way, remember that one sea? If it all goes into one place, there's a reason why the mean elevation in the entire world is known as sea level. Why? Because it's in exactly the same place on the entire planet. It doesn't vary but a very minuscule amount, and that actually is according to tides more than anything else. But the water level itself, because there's one body of water, which he just told us about, There's one hydrologic cycle which he just put into place which causes sufficient rain in one area to both cool and water it. It takes the excess water, funnels it into river basins and streams, dumps it back into the ocean, which there's only one of, which the surface thereof becomes the evaporation basin for all the clouds that continue to water this planet every single day. God actually told us he was going to do that. 
the book of Job. Uh, you know, because we here in Southern California, um, I happen to love the Eastern High Sierras. And actually, I'm one of those guys that drive by, drives by Owens Dry Lake, and I drive by Mono Lake, and I'm a little tweaked. Uh, at William Mulholland. Though we are the beneficiaries, the LA Department of Water and Power, I don't mean to offend if you work for LAWP, don't, don't get mad at me, but we have pumped all the water from there to here and it's caused kind of an imbalance. It's actually created a dust bowl in the Owens Basin. Um, God actually had that all balanced out and so he stuck lakes where they needed to go and rivers where they needed to go and creeks where they needed to go and he managed it just like that instantaneously. So when we pump all the water out of the eastern Sierras and bring it down here and drink it, and then we dump it into the Pacific Ocean, it was actually supposed to stay up there. So those things, we actually do kind of alter our environment a little bit. Uh, We have created both deserts, and if you travel to Israel, we've also created a whole bunch of irrigated spaces that used to be desert. So we've moved it around a bit. Here's the crazy thing. It works so good that God actually makes up for it. And so he changes the environment for us to actually balance out the dumb things that sometimes we do. And again, these are all human things, and some of them actually make sense from a human perspective. But notice what Job 36 says, verse 27, if you want to turn there. We'll be in Job 36 and 37. For he draws up drops of water. Now, imagine to yourself, um, Job was an old guy. You're talking about the, the events in the book of Job were about 3,800 years ago. I'm pretty sure there were no climatologists, no hydrologists at that time, no microbiologists. There were no people of any scientific discipline. All of those scientific disciplines, by the way, came about in about the 1500s this way. So notice what he says, writing 3,800 years ago, or at least the events occurred For he draws up drops of water, which distill as rain from the mist, which the clouds drop down and pour abundantly on man. How in the world did he have any idea of the hydrologic cycle 3,800 years ago? Because God spoke into his life and told him what he'd done. He, He may have well had the oral history of the book of Genesis. We don't know. Indeed, can anyone understand the spreading of the clouds? the thunder from its canopy. Look, he scatters his light upon it and he covers the depths of the sea. God actually refills the seas every single second of every day so that we have a mean sea level. The book of Job actually tells us some of these things. Job 36, verse 6, for he says to the snow, fall on the earth and likewise to a gentle rain and to a heavy rain of his strength. he's, He's talking about things that we wouldn't have a scientific understanding for thousands of years. And yet he knew it. Because God has always been honest. God has never been a liar. God has always told the truth. And so he's always given mankind the ability to look at the creation, to look at the things that have been made, exactly what he says in Romans chapter 1, to look at the creation, and we should be worshiping the creator rather than the creation. God's been very faithful to us. He goes on next to describe uh, what we would call the oceans. He's actually going to name them as, as we see these words translated into English. Verse 9, he said, God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And so it was, or it was so. Both of those are accurate. And God called the dry land earth. When you talk to a Hebrew person, 
when you ask them about the land, they will say it is Eretz Israel. It is the land of Israel. God's word for land. He's now going to begin to make the continents appear. And this is where when we just simply read the Bible and believe God for what he, what he says, um, we start to come in conflict with, with a few modern scientific disciplines, not because of what we see, but only because of how long most evolutionary biologists, most evolutionary geologists, most of those who hold to the principle, to the theory of evolution, how they, they believe that that must take that long simply because of what they see. In other words, the canyon is so deep, the river is so wide, the erosion is so great that it must have been millions, if not billions of years in many cases. And so God calls the land, uh, the dry land, earth, and he gathers the seas together, and he calls them seas, and he saw that it was good. So he takes this water that's now under the firmament, the water that's below the heaven of heavens, below the space, below our atmosphere, and you're on the third day of creation. He does this next act of division. He's going to, again, instead of using the Hebrew word bara, which means to create from nothing, he uses the Hebrew word asa, which means to organize existing things or systems. And basically, God says, let the dry land appear. And I believe that it's at this point that God actually begins to put into process all those things which we see in our natural world today. Though he does them at a rate that's before the flood, he's still putting into place things like erosion. He's still putting into place things like depositation. He's putting into place chemical reactions, dissolving of elements, precipitated chemicals out of the ground. All that kind of stuff certainly began to work. And so God wouldn't be so foolish as to create a system that only works for a few months or a few years. He's going to put something in place that will work permanently, but he's going to alter how it works Uh, via a mechanism called the great flood of Noah. And so God puts those things uh, at least into their their basic uh, forms. So here's where you have the development of the continental shelf, the mantle, the tectonic plates, all of those types of things as the dry land now appears. You know, people often say, oh, well, you know, we got the bearing land. You know, this can't possibly be. We have no problem as people who believe that God created the heavens and the earth, believing that tectonic plates are actually there, that giant fault zones exist, that areas of volcanic induction exist, volcanic ridge in the middle of the Pacific Ocean is an absolute, it's down there. Uh, you can, you've probably seen some of the pictures in National Geographic or Smithsonian, these little tiny volcanoes on the, on the seafloor where there's magma, there is a mantle, there is a core. We have no problem with any of that stuff. God simply creates it. And so as he does that, uh, one of the things that we have to come to terms with is the things that we see. One of those is what we call plate tectonics. In other words, most of you in here have probably heard that we sit on the North American plate, and the North American plate is moving towards the Pacific plate, and where they crash into each other, we have things like the Eastern High Sierra, of which Mount Whitney is part of that. So when you drive down the escarpment of the Eastern Sierra, they're a nearly two-mile high uh, eruption where those two plates have crashed into one another. God just simply said, look, I'm going to make the dry land appear. So it's no problem for God to begin to push some plates together and cause the uplifting of the continents. 
Now he's going to alter that radically, and here's why this is important to you, because all throughout most of the major mountain ranges on the entire earth, you're going to find fossils all the way at the top of those mountain ranges. Now that makes no sense unless those mountain ranges were at some point in time covered with water which your Bible says they were. So I personally believe that at this time he puts those plates into motion, but when they really begin to uplift is actually either during the flood or directly after them. And that's why most of the world's mountain ranges appear to be other than like our Appalachians here. Uh, But most of the major mountain ranges, the tallest ones, are very, very, very new. And when you look at them, there is broken and fragmented rock everywhere. There's consistent movement. There's earthquakes. Mount Whitney itself, uh, which used to be 14,496.811 feet, has shrunk by almost two feet. It's actually settling into the Owens Valley. And so there is evidence that God put the plates into movement. They continue to move. We just believe that it didn't take billions of years. God set into motion those things which scientists would say, yep, there's a huge plate and it's slamming into another huge plate and here's what's happening. Those mountains are moving. And yes, that is truth. And I want to strongly encourage you, don't deny those things out of hand uh, as someone who believes in creation, but rather just simply say, we believe that God can do things that are not in process right now, and what we see is the evidence of God's hand and how he did it, because neither one of us were there. You weren't there uh, billions of years ago, and I wasn't there thousands of years ago, so we can't tell you exactly when God started doing those things, but it was a long time ago. And oh, by the way, the processes that he put in place, he altered uh, some 4,000 plus years ago. And so we see things today that did not exist uh, except after the flood. And so those great tectonic plates are moving all over the surface of the world, intricate networks of canyons. Uh, we We have a canyon off the shore. The Santa Monica Bay actually has a very large underwater canyon in it. San Diego has one of the the second deepest canyons in the world. You probably all know the Marianas Trench off the coast of of Asia, Japan. Uh, Places where the sea floors have sunk, the mountains have raised up. Uh, If you travel out to the Hawaiian Islands, one of the strange things about it, by land mass alone, the tallest mountain on the face of the earth is Mauna Kea on the big island of Hawaii. If you measure it from the sea floor where it actually starts. It has more land mass in it than any other mountain on the face of the earth. So God put into place all kinds of things that we still see growing. Again, travel to the Hawaiian Islands, the south side of the island. Uh, You get down to Pahoa, there's several acres of new land that are created every year. That volcano has been discharging since 1988. Uh, We don't deny that volcanoes shape the earth. We don't deny that earthquakes shape the earth. We don't deny that tectonic plates move on the face of the earth. All of those things God could have easily put into motion at this time as he raises up the continents out of this land mass that he's freshly created. He's now created the seas, the mountains, the basic structure uh, of the earth. And in fact, he actually tells us what he's doing by telling us that he's set some boundaries to it. That there are, in fact, not seven seas, uh, as was believed during the time of exploration, but exactly one And so God tells us that um, I'm doing some things that you can actually go out and look at your world and you're going to confirm that what I'm telling you is true, that there's exactly one sea. And so they do have boundaries, exactly as God is telling us. If you turn to the 102nd Psalm, 
Uh, Notice what it says here, because God expresses throughout the Psalms, he expresses in Job, he expresses in Zechariah, he speaks it again in the book of Isaiah, that he in fact has made boundaries to all of the world's basic systems. That's mountain ranges, that's rivers, that's seas. He tells us that he laid the foundations of the earth. Notice verse 25, Psalm, Psalm 102. For of old you have laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. In other words, he's basically telling us, look, I did these things. You can look at them and see my handiwork. In Job chapter 38, so we've already looked at Job 36. We looked at part of Job 37. Now Job 38, verses 4 to 10. And God is now chastising Job. You remember the story of Job? Job kind of started out as he kind of had an idyllic life. Matter of fact, so much so that God bragged about him. There's not a man on the face of the earth that's as righteous as Job, and his life comes unglued. He's had a little bit of an issue with God. So he's having an argument with God, and God finally takes him to the woodshed, and this is what he says to him. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Speaking to Job. Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? You see, there's some, there's some interesting things that are being intimated here as God is sharing with us from the book of Job about what he did during the time in which he creates the heavens and the earth. When he creates these incredible hydrologic systems, when he makes those things which we would say uh, today are involved in climate and climate science, when he puts those things, where were you, Job? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? You know, did you set sea level, Job, or did I do that? Did you make the continents where they are, or was that me? And he's basically chastised. He says, surely you know. Or who stretched a line upon it? Or to what are its foundations fastened? It's interesting when you look at uh, much of the, of the world's um, religions today, especially in the ancient religions, they all involve some form of the earth being carried around by some form of being. Uh, it, the earth has been carted around on the back of Atlas. The earth has been carted around the back of an elephant. The earth has been carted around on the back of a turtle. You know, the earth, to what was it attached well, actually, God told Job that it hung in space. Who laid its cornerstone? When were the stars? Did they sing together? I, I don't know how many of you have traveled around through the desert southwest and you've been either into northern Arizona, uh, southern New Mexico, or our own Owens Valley. But when you travel up the Owens Valley as you're driving north on 395, if you look to your right, um, you'll see a number of very large radio telescope antennas up there. They're part of the VLA, the Very Large Array. The reason that they're there is billions of your tax dollars are being spent focusing those antennas towards the very deep re- recesses of where we think the edge of our galaxy is because we are listening for Star Song. We are listening for E.T. to phone home. We're trying to hear him. But God says something that we didn't figure out until about uh, the mid-1980s. And we actually now know that stars themselves, due to the pulsation of the, of the molecules that make up the gas molecules in the edge of the star, the corona, and the, the internal engine, the fission engine that drives stars, stars actually do sing. Check this out. When the morning stars sang together. 
And all of the sons of God shouted for joy. We, we had to build a large radio telescope to fill, figure that out uh, with all kinds of dishes all pointed into specific areas of space that are all linked together by computers. And Job knew that the stars actually sung. We now actually know that stars do sing. They actually make noise. They have a radio wave imprint that we can hear. Or who shut the sea with doors? Who keeps the sea? Ever thought about that? Why do the seas stay in one place? I mean, we have some pretty high tides in the earth. Have you ever put water into a bucket and tried to carry it across your yard? When that thing's moving, the water's going all over the place, isn't it? And yet God keeps the seas right where they are. When you go down to the beach, the reason you can build a beachfront home is because God set the boundaries to the sea. Now, if there happens to be a very large storm or erosion or those types of things, then yes, sometimes... Uh, you will end up with a, with a house falling into the sea. But for the most part, the boundaries of the seas were set by God, and they remain there today. When it burst forth, issued from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment in a thick darkness like a swaddling band. And he uses the word band there, uh, which indicates a circle. Uh, if you know anything about early earth history, uh, it was widely believed that the world was flat. And furthermore, not only was it flat, but it actually had edges. And you could get to the edge of it, and if you went too far, you might just go right off the edge of it. Now, I'm not telling you that there's a flat earth. The earth is round. Job actually understood, uh, because God told him that the earth was wrapped with the swaddling band. In other words, a band that was put around the earth. You could have gone all the way around it. He was actually being told that it was spherical. When I fix my limit on it and set the bars in the door. So God, in his wonderful wisdom, has given us all this information about what he actually did. He set the boundaries to the oceans. He set uh, the, the, what we would call the continents moving. Uh, in Zechariah, he said, The burden of the wor- word against the Lord to Israel is this. Thus says the Lord who stretches out the heavens. Now, the Big Bang Theory says that the heavens are still being stretched out. Zechariah knew that the heavens were being stretched out. And the reason that's important is because it is very clear that the heavens are being stretched out. We just know that God stretched them out. He actually told Zechariah he did that. It confirms the evidence that we see in front of us. Isaiah 48, For indeed my hand has laid the foundation of the earth. My right hand has stretched out the heavens. And when I call them together, they all stand up. The Lord's saying, look, I did these things. You don't need naturalistic means. You don't need naturalistic explanations. You can simply trust what God said. He made the earth. He made the seas. He made the atmosphere. And he did so perfectly so that we could live here. His intent was to create an environment where he could create mankind, put mankind on this earth, and man would be on this earth uh, to, to love and to serve God. And so he does that. Psalm 104, and we'll end with this tonight and bring the worship team back out, prayer team forward. Psalm 104 says there in verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You're clothed in honor and majesty. You cover yourself with light as a garment. You stretch out the heavens like a curtain. It's the same thing. He keeps saying over and over and over again, you can look at the heavens. You can see that they're stretched out like a curtain. You can see the upper chambers of the water. You you know that there are clouds in the sky. 
You know that the the wind blows. You know the foundations of the earth are there. They're not going to be moved. They're not going to be changed. You're not going to, you know, California is going to be here as long as God wants it. And when he says it's done, uh, he can put it into the ocean if he wants. But for right now, he has maintained it exactly the way it is. And in verse 9, he actually goes on to set the, the, the example of this. He says, I've set the boundary. They may not pass over them, speaking of the mountains, the valleys, and the oceans. And they will not return to cover the earth. In fact, he says, look, I have planned all this out. It's going to be okay. Rest and trust because I created all this for you. Amen? Would you stand? Let's pray together. We're going to worship. Some of the pastors are going to come forward for prayer. Rest in the hands of the Creator God. He's been really good to us. He created this amazing planet that we spin around on every day. You, you don't know it, but you're traveling about 22,000 miles an hour right now, so you're really rocking. You don't realize it, but you know your, your body is uniquely and fearfully and wonderfully made by God for a purpose. And so he, he didn't put you here by accident. So enjoy the time. Enjoy the fact that God's done these things in your life. Don't let anybody rip you off that you're just a mistake because all this stuff sounds like the plans of a very, very, very magnanimous God who loves the people uh, that are on this earth and every last one of us matter to him. Father, thank you again for the beautiful picture of what you have done for us as part of your creation, Lord. But the beautiful thing is that you've created us in your very own image. Lord, given us a spirit where we can meet you given us a soul and a mind where we can think about you, given us a body uh, that we can do all that life has to offer for us here on this earth. And so, Father, we thank you for your beautiful care for us as your people, for this wonderful planet that you've given us. We thank you for the night sky, Lord, giving us uh, just a view of, of the heavens. Lord, we do look up that the heavens, in fact, do declare your handiwork, the moon and the stars. Lord, we believe that you flung into space. And so, God, we bless you for your creation. We thank you for it. Thanks for making it beautiful. Uh, you could have made it in, in black and white. You could have made it uh, so it didn't even matter to us. But you, you made sunsets and you made flowers. Lord, you made the, the beautiful smells after a rain. Lord, you, you've given us so many things so richly uh, to enjoy. And we are forever indebted for your goodness. So bless us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. God's people all said, Amen.